Lord, I thank you for that time of worship, and I thank you for the truth in those words that um, in Christ alone we stand. Lord, I pray that we would have the courage to do that um, and that you would encourage others as well. Please be the voice in this sermon. In Jesus' name, amen. I am always inspired by other people's faith, especially those who experience great fallout from living out their Christian beliefs. Personally, I'm a wimp. I haven't read the diary of a wimpy kid, but I'm afraid that would be me. I'm easily embarrassed, intimidated, and afraid. And as a Christian, sometimes I'm grateful for living in America because it is relatively easy to be a Christian. I can only name three instances when I felt outright slandered or made fun of for my faith. Uh, the first was when I was in seventh grade, probably like 12 years old, and I was sitting in class, like my hands like this, like this with, my, with my eyes closed, like in a prayer position for some reason. I don't think I was paying attention. I might have been tired. Anyway, the kid next to me was like, what are you doing, praying? And I was like, uh, no. And I wasn't, but... I felt really oddly embarrassed and kind of ashamed of myself in that moment. Um, two years later, one September morning, I was driving to school with my best friend and her brother. And it was, we got to school and there was a whole bunch of students standing around the flagpole praying for CU at the poll day. Do you, are you guys familiar with that? Um, it's something I had participated in in middle school and somehow forgot that freshman year. And I, before I could say, oh, I forgot about that, my friend's brother started going, Oh, Jesus, I love you, Jesus. Look at all those Christians. You know, he started outright mocking them with me in the car and Krista, my friend, who is also a believer. And we just kind of looked at each other, didn't say anything, moved on with the day. And then, four years later, my same friend, Krista, and I were at school at Bethel College in St. Paul. It's a Christian school. And one Saturday night, we were hanging out with our friends when... Krista handed me her phone and said, listen to this voice message. And it was a message from two of our best friends from high school. We had hung out with each other, hung out with these girls like every day in the summer. You know, we were that close with them. And they were drunk and they called us and were laughing at us saying we probably went to bed early that night and because we, we had to go to church the next morning and they were laughing at us for that. That was the most personal, direct um, slander I ever experienced and it really, I was annoyed I think Krista was a little bit more hurt by it than I was but when I look back on that those experiences I, I feel like they caught me off guard and I felt stupid I was pretty insecure at the time anyway and so it wasn't really hard for people to put me down um, but overall I got up and I recovered and I, you know, I forgive them, I love them still my friends but as I grew in the faith, I became stunned to learn how Christians around the world are treated, how they are tortured, imprisoned, killed, all because they refuse to renounce their faith in Jesus. Yet it is all too common for thousands, even millions of Christians around the world today. Their stories have both horrified me and encouraged me in my faith. And I would like to share some of their experiences with you today. Today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. 
Christians all over the world are praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in prison, who risk their lives, who are forced to sign documents saying that they will never worship Jesus again. They're seen as a threat to the governments that they live in. They are imprisoned for years on end. And as I teach this evening, I'm going to teach some, I'm hopefully going to teach some ways that we can pray and you can pray and we will pray at the end for them. But first, I want to begin with some scriptural foundations for what we're going to discuss. And begin with the question, why? Why does this happen? Why are Christians persecuted? Why do people make fun of us for praying, for believing, for trusting God? Why are Christians worldwide arrested, tortured, and killed for their faith, for worshiping Jesus? And simply put, this sounds harsh, but the world hates Jesus. A lot of people like to say, I love Jesus, I don't like Christianity. Well, really, the world does not like Jesus very much. They killed him. Jesus said in John 15, 18-19, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as well as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. And John 3, 19 to 20 says, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. All those who do evil hate the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. As 1 Peter 4, 4 says, They are surprised that you don't join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. In other words, your actions, your behavior because it's different than the rest of the world, is evidence that you are in the light, that the Holy Spirit is in you, that you are different. And somehow this is threatening. And they fear for themselves. They fear for themselves that their deeds will be exposed, the scripture says. And in that fear, they turn to abuse and slander and harm on others. But we should not be discouraged by this. Matthew 5, 11 through 12, Jesus says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And again, back to Peter, 1 Peter 4, 12 through 16. Peter says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. You are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. So praise God when you are made fun of, when you're harassed, when you're ostracized from your family because of your faith, when your coworkers try to tear you down, make you fail and fall, when people want to see you fall. <laughs> I've seen that. It's horrible. But rejoice that you bear his name. You are the light of the world, and they live in darkness, and they are afraid. So love them. You have God's spirit in you and all that is good. 
I mean, here in America, we have religious freedom. We have great opportunity to love God and to, to share his love with others. We can meet here at Scum and not have the police pounding on the door to arrest every single one of us. We could meet with our friends and study the Bible at our homes and not be afraid they're going to burn our homes to the ground. We have opportunities. We have opportunities to pray and to care for one another. But Christians, other Christians don't. So I'm going to turn to talk about them because this is what today is all about. I remember when I was going to Denver Seminary um, in the spring of 2007, I learned about three men in Turkey. I was a German missionary and two Christians, and they worked for a Christian publishing house. And uh, they went to meet with some Muslim men one morning, thinking that these men were interested in Christianity. And these men turned up, came to meet them, and they brought ropes and knives and towels because they knew what they were about to do was going to be very bloody. I don't even want to tell you what they did. I think you can imagine it. It's enough to make me just absolutely horrified. They tied them up and tortured them with their knives. And finally, after hours, they slit their throats from ear to ear, nearly decapitating them. Shortly after learning of these killings, I ran into my friend Kazim, who's from Turkey. And he was visibly shaken by this. He told me that those men were his friends. And he told me about their wives that were left behind and their children. And one of the wives publicly said that she forgave the killers. She said I, they did not know what they were doing, quoting Jesus as he died on the cross. There's a widespread belief in Christianity that persecution always results in a flourishing of faith. I mean, look at China, people might say. And China's an awesome example. I mean, really, as a country, they, Christians have been persecuted there, especially over the last 150 years or so. In the 20th century, many, like thousands of Christians were arrested and killed and missionaries um, but over that time, there are at least 12 million Catholics now and 80 to 100 million Protestant believers. That is about, oh, 100 times more than there were 50 years ago, 60 years ago. So sometimes under persecution, Christianity does flourish. Unfortunately, in Turkey, this has not been the case. The churches there have shrunk. Everyone's afraid. People are afraid of what happened five years ago and what could happen. Last year, the United States, and what has been happening, I mean, other things have happened. It's not like that was a one-time event. Last year, the United States Commission of International Religious Freedom, which is an independent, bipartisan U.S. federal government commission, added Turkey to its list of 16 countries of particular concern. This map up here um, is a map made by this commission. Uh, the, the countries in red are the countries of particular concern, and the ones in yellow are on the watch list. They think there's about eight countries on the watch list, eight to ten, but there's 16 of particular concern where they are closed, people cannot worship freely, um, a lot of them, some of them are co communist, others are largely Muslim nations. 
Turkey joins Egypt, Iran, Iraq, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, Sudan, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, and Uzbekistan in the Middle East. Muslim countries where often the Sharia law is kept by many and if you're to blaspheme Muhammad, which is basically to say you don't believe Muhammad is God's prophet, or if you were to turn from Islam, you are punishable, it's punishable by death according to the Quran. One Egyptian man, and his pen name is Mark Gabriel, he questioned the ethics of Islam when he was in seminary, in a, in a Muslim seminary. As a result of questioning the ethics of Islam, not even Muhammad, not even Allah, not anything else, he was arrested and tortured. When Gabriel later confessed to his father that he became a Christian, his father pulled out a gun and tried to kill him on the spot. He wrote a book called Jesus and Muhammad comparing Christianity and Islam. And you could read more. His name's Mark Gabriel again. Another story. There was a pastor in Iran, Pastor Yusuf Nadarkani. He was in prison for three years for apostasy and evangelism. During that time, he was often tortured and pressured to turn from Jesus and to convert to Islam. Pastor Yusuf was given the death sentence and was scheduled to die on November 13th, which is nine days from today. Thankfully, miraculously, on September 8th, he was released from jail. There is concern that his life is still in danger, though, because in 1994, a similar case happened where a pastor was arrested in Iran, and he was released from prison. He was supposed to have the death sentence, and two weeks later, he was kidnapped and murdered after his release. As far as I can tell, I mean, this was almost two months ago that Pastor Youssef was released. As far as I can tell, that hasn't happened. It's really hard to tell what's actually going on in these countries, though. So we have to keep praying. Pray, please pray, that Pastor Youssef and other believers will have courage. That God will comfort them in their struggles. It can be really difficult to understand what these men and women are going to. I could keep telling you stories that I've read but I really want you to see someone's face and to learn some more from a personal testimony. So there's a documentary I want to show. This is Moses Shea, and he suffered in a Chinese labor camp for 20, 23 years in the 1950s, 60s, early 70s. Um, so he's just going to share a little bit of his story with you right now. I was in jail for 23 years. If they had told me that it would last 23 years, I don't think I would have made it. When they held a public meeting to criticize and denounce me, they asked, Do you still believe in God? Do you still believe in Jesus? They pulled my hair and my ears. They punched me, knocked me to the ground, and kicked me. And they jerked my handcuffs and asked, Do you believe? Do you still believe? The handcuffs had made deep gouges in my flesh, which had started to fester. They hauled me away like this, back and forth, back and forth. But I prayed to the Lord, I have followed you as far as I can. Surely you're not glorified when they denounce and torture me each day. I'm your servant and your child. Are you glorified in heaven when suffering like this? In prayer, I entrusted my whole family to the Lord. Then I was ready to kill myself. But how could I do it with handcuffs on? 
When the two guards went for lunch, I jumped onto the bed and unscrewed the light bulb. I planned to kill myself with an electric shock, but the electricity wasn't strong enough. Later, people told me it was because I had handcuffs on. The handcuffs diverted the electricity and saved me. While I was in the middle of doing this, people from outside noticed and shouted, "Moses Shea wants to kill himself." The government officials called me out and lectured me. You want to threaten the government? You want to make the government look bad by killing yourself? At night, I confessed to God. I said, "Heavenly Father, I have fallen short of Your glory. I have made it through twelve years of labor camp, and endured a lot of suffering. Why couldn't I rely on You till the very end? I am not worthy of Your glory. Please forgive me, O Lord." Then I heard the Lord speak to me. Dear child, my grace is sufficient for you. Dear child, my grace is sufficient for you. And the third time he spoke so very gently, my grace is sufficient for you. The Lord comforted me, and by His grace, I survived. Seeing his face, you can see what he's been through. <laughs> What he remembers, and God's grace to him—it's just amazing. In China, this is、um, a documentary that was made in 2004 called "The Cross: Jesus in China."、Um, but in China, more Christians are arrested than in any other country worldwide. Christian is, Christianity has taken off there, but it's still legal to do anything outside of the Three Self Church, which is the government-run church. And they will be tracking you in the government-run church. While the treatment of house churches in China varies from region to region, you can bet that Christians are being arbitrarily arrested throughout the country. In the last five years, arrests have increased, and in 2011, especially, the government began cracking down on these house churches. They arrested leaders and forced others to report to authorities on a regular basis. There is another part in this documentary which、um, talks about the, or is talking to house churches out in the countryside, not in the cities really, but in the countryside where I think more of the persecution takes place. It's hard to tell, but、um, they were saying that at any given moment, members of the congregation were in jail. These house churches. Some, they were saying, right now we have 16 people. Another church was saying we have eight. You know, they're always ready to be arrested. I mean, you can just expect to be arrested. It seems that was the feel I got, and that was in 2004. And if in, the persecution has increased over the last five years, I don't. I just can't even imagine what it's like now. Some some areas aren't as bad, but other areas of China are really horrible. So Christians in these countries need encouragement and strength and encouragement to hold on to Christ. As Moses Shea received this message from God, my grace is sufficient. You, may we pray for them that others would be encouraged as well. This is not something that people just endure with like their own supernatural strength on their own. They can't do it by themselves. They need God's help. They need us to pray for them. Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians: Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. 
Pray I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Even Paul asked for prayer that he would be able to preach fearlessly in the face of persecution. As he was an ambassador in chains, those were his words. So it may be hard to pray for those you don't know. I understand. I have a hard time not seeing faces, not knowing names necessarily. But I challenge you to try. Try. I believe that this is a worldwide spiritual battle on a level that we don't really understand. And the church, as the church, we must stand as one to pray for our brothers and sisters. So pray. The first thing I want you to pray for is pray for courage and strength for these people. Pray that they would be able to hold fast to their faith, that they would not renounce Jesus and feel horrible about it later. There was one man in this documentary. I didn't have this in my notes, so let's see if I remember it correctly. But he gave in under torture and signed a thing saying that he renounced his faith. This was probably 40 years ago. And it came... They wanted to release him from prison then because he he denounced his faith in Jesus. And he was so repentant. He's like, no, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Keep me in jail. I'd rather stay in jail than denounce Jesus. No, you have to go home. You have to go home. Oh, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Another man. The courts just said he denounced Jesus. They were trying to release him. And he's like, no, I don't denounce Jesus. I don't turn away from my Lord. And he lived outside the jail for the rest of his life as a sign that he did not turn away from Christ. He fasted five days a week and lived to be 78 years old outside of this jail. Christians around the country just like honored him. When he died, it was a saint had died, you know? Some of these people are amazingly strong, but I can imagine there's so many more like Moses Shea who just want the suffering to be over. So pray for them that they would be able to hold fast. And that one day that God would reveal himself to them, reveal himself to the authorities, and they would be released from their suffering. So that's, to me, that's the biggest thing they need. Courage, encouragement. But persecuted Christians worldwide don't all only need courage. They also need knowledge. They need education. The first time the persecuted church became real to me was, was in, when I was in a church history class, again, at Denver Seminary. And somehow, or for some reason, the professor said, told us that Samuel, this um, Chinese man who was really quiet and a really loving man, in the front row had spent three years in a Chinese jail. And I was just like, I had already seen this documentary and I, I was just like stunned that there's somebody right here who's experienced that kind of torture. And I wanted to talk to him about it. And I went up to him and I started asking him questions and tried to get to know him, but he wouldn't really tell me anything about that time in his life. Instead, he told me, you could come to China. There's lots of female pastors in China. Come, be a pastor. Train the other pastors. There's a great need for training. In China and in other countries, it's illegal to own a Bible. In China, it's illegal to own a Bible unless you buy it from the Three Self Church. Um, in other countries, you can't even print them. I think in Iran it is right now. Yeah, you can't have any, there's no printing of Bibles. Um, if you have a Bible, it's been smuggled in. You can't own any Christian books or articles, newspapers, anything. There's nothing. And so a lot of times what happens is people um, 
have a small understanding of Christianity without any education. And so these weird sects start popping up. This is what my cousin told me. He was a missionary in China for three years, and he was involved in training pastors. And he said that they need education because otherwise weird beliefs start popping up, superstitions, things get mixed up. And this actually turns people away from the Lord. I mean, I can imagine that, right? Like, if you start hearing some weird stuff about, about Christianity, maybe some of you have experienced that before coming to the Lord. Or in the middle of it right now, you don't really understand because you don't have a great orthodox view of God. It's a problem. So people need to be educated. I know several missionaries who focus just on this. They go to train. My cousin was one. He's no longer in China now. But there's other people um, through YWAM. Um, there's a man, Gary Copeland. He was a senior pastor I worked under um, at a covenant church here in Denver before coming to SCUM. Right now he is currently, I think he's right now in Nepal training pastors or he's on his way or something. Um, and he has been throughout Africa and the East um, and he continually goes on these trips to train pastors and encourage them and, and you know spend time with them and pray for them. I have a friend who's working with Wycliffe to translate the Bible into local languages in the East. I don't know which country they're in because it's too dangerous to know which country they're in in case it gets out. But they're there. And there's others who are going. If you hear these if you hear people you know who are doing this, support them. Five dollars. Five dollars a month. I don't know. They are reaching people who need encouragement, I think, more than we can understand. And they are training them and teaching them the word of God in ways they never really grasped before. And I think it's probably pretty exciting. I've heard of people, they, people a man went over there um, just to do like a day-long seminar on one book of the Bible. And they said, no, start at Genesis. We want to know the whole thing. And so for a week, from sun, sun up to sundown, they just studied the scriptures for an entire week straight, just trying to understand it all. Oh, if that would happen here. <laughs> if that would happen. Oh, they're thirsty. They need the knowledge. Along the same lines, people need Bibles. They need Bibles. Some people will go and walk and copy, hand copy somebody's Bible because the other person doesn't want to loan it out because it's too precious to them. So they'll go on several trips and write it out, write it out, copy, copy, copy. Other people will split it up amongst themselves and exchange parts of the Bible. They just don't have them. But there are many organizations that we can be involved with and partner with to send Bibles to the Christians in these circumstances. One of them, which is called Bibles Unbound, is through Voice of the Martyrs. And I think this is the one, I could be wrong, I apologize. Pretty sure this is the one from what I saw, where what they do is for $30 a month, they will get Bibles to the people who request them. And how this works is they will actually immediately print the Bible that's been requested after somebody asks it, send it to you, you hand pack it, send it to somebody else who can smuggle it into the country. So this is roundabout way so it can't trace it back to Voice of the Martyrs, because Voice of the Martyrs isn't allowed. Unbound Bibles Unbound isn't allowed. So they're very, you know, what's the word I want to use? Smart? Wise? Covert? I don't know. What's it? Why is it serpents, that one? I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> shrewd, shrewd. Thank you. I think that's exciting. I want to do an event here. If I can find this organization, figure it out, what's going on. I want to do an event here where we pack up Bibles and send them out, right? 
But you could do this on your own. $30 a month. Send out five Bibles to Christians who asked for them. Right now, there are 34,760 people on the waiting list. 3,000 are in Cuba. That's not that far away, right? Like, I mean, some of these countries, I'm just kind of going, they have problems? They can't get Bibles? I had no idea. Finally, because so many people are imprisoned, their families suffer, obviously, for lack of income, um, or even parents. Pastor Yusuf, this guy who was imprisoned, Iran, who was just released, shortly after he was arrested three years ago, his wife was also arrested. And they have two young boys. Um, Well, could you put up the... Click twice, I think. There'll be a picture of this family. And this is him after he was released in September. So those, those boys are pretty young. I'm not entirely sure how old they are. But what did they do with them? When both of the parents were in jail. What would you do if you had kids? If you were in jail. I mean, maybe you had family, but I don't know what their family situation's like. This is Iran. In the cross, in the documentary, there's a story, an amazing story of God's provision for a family of eight children. When the father, Pastor Yun, was imprisoned for 20 years, the family was left with only 80 cents a day. Eventually, they had no money left. Nothing. No food. And the, the mom was crying out to God, what am I going to do? We have no food tomorrow. Nothing. Lord, what are you going to do for us? Pastor Yoon said it was probably more difficult for his wife taking care of their children without him than it was for him in the labor camp. That's how he sees it. And she cried to God, and the next morning she got up and she prayed, thinking, what are we going to do? We have no food. When she had a knock on the door, and a woman was there, and she handed her 50 yen, which was enough money for her to pay her bills for the month and buy food and everything that they needed. And this woman was so overwhelmed and she asked, what's your name? Thank you so much. The woman said, don't ask me my name. The Holy Spirit told me to come here to you and to give you this money. You cannot ask me my name. And so this, obviously she's really grateful. And the next month comes and a little girl shows up and gives her money. And she's like, what's your name? Thank you. What's your name? Don't ask me that. My mother told me not to tell you. Pastor Yoon was in prison for over 20 years. And every month for those 20 years, this woman received the money she needed for her family. Eight children. Every month. She'd receive it in the mail most of the time. And she said it was uh, postmarked from like a code, like uh, number 8052 or something. And she'd try to write them back. And the post office would say, there's nobody with that name. There's not, this person doesn't exist. She has no idea who gave her that money. God provided for them in miraculous ways. He can provide in miraculous ways. If these stories are stirring in you like they stir in me, it's really easy to start praying for these people regularly. Voice of the Martyrs will send out an email if you sign up on their website, which is persecution.com. Sign up on their website. They'll send out an email to you with the prayer list with stories of things that are happening right now. People who've been arrested just recently or, you know, stories. There's a a girl right now, which country, some country in the Middle East. She was just kidnapped and taken to be married off to a Muslim man. And she's a Christian taken from her community. This was just last week. 
Or you can download their app. They have an iTunes app and one that you can get from the Android Marketplace. It's easy to be involved, informed, and pray. I challenge you to do that. And right now, I ask that we would pray right now. I, I distributed some flyers before the service started. They're kind of out. There's two pages. If you can share one, there's um, lists of the countries that are on um, the the commission 16. Oh, now I even forgot what it's called. You know, that map. Can you pull the map up too, please? Um, the international, wait, the United States Commission of International Religious Freedom. That's what it is. Um, if you don't have one, I'm sorry. I didn't think of people down on the floor. Um, we're going to take a time now to pray. I hope this list might be encouraging. Some people might want to look at it and read of what's going on in these countries. Other people might just want to look at the names. Um, share with people around you. But please, right now, we're going to take about 10 minutes to pray. I ask that you would pray for the things I talked about. Pray for courage and comfort. Please pray for education and Bibles to reach the Christians. And pray for provision for basic daily needs. Um, after about 10 minutes, I'm going to close in prayer. Oh, and one final thing before that. If you need to pray for yourself right now, that's okay. If there are times where you've been embarrassed, I have been too. And I've, I have found that I need to be strengthened in my faith and stand up for Jesus on a regular basis. Um, again, at the end of Peter, First Peter, Peter writes, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Because you know that your fellow believers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So please break up into groups, uh, small groups, and pray right now for about 10 minutes for believers worldwide. Lord, we ask that you hear our prayers. May they be like incense coming up to you, a sweet smell in your nose. May you answer, God. May you send power. May you be near to our brothers and sisters around the world. Encourage them, comfort them, give them strength, teach them. And provide for them, Lord. And may we, as a church, grow, God. May we grow and be courageous to stand up for you. We are the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world, Lord. People do not understand why we worship you. I pray that we would have confidence and trust you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to have communion coming up next. You know, I, when I was reading and studying, there was a story. You guys can get back into your spots while I talk. It's fine. There was a story of 
one church in the Middle East that was being watched. And they were being watched every Sunday. And they said, every Sunday they give out this red drink. And we think they're poisoning them or some kind of drug. Worldwide, everybody worships the Lord through communion, through remembering what Christ has done. We, worldwide, are the body of Christ. What a privilege to stand in Christ with your brothers and sisters. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you for suffering for us. And when we suffer and participate in the sufferings of Christ, God, I pray that we would remember that we are blessed to bear your name. Thank you for dying for us. As we come forward, I pray that we would surrender ourselves to you. We would be um, encouraged once again to go out and live for you day to day. Amen.